Hey, folks, Tom Block. Thanks for tuning into Front Row Knowles, and thanks to the Champions Club and Seminole Boosters for their longtime support of this podcast. By now, you've seen or heard about the Boosters One Tribe campaign, which is annual membership to Seminole Boosters that helps fund the most vital needs of the FSU athletics program, including scholarships, academic support, and athletic training. I'll put this as simply as I can. If you're listening to this podcast, you care about FSU athletics and should be a booster. Many of you already are. Thank you. And I encourage you, if you're able, to increase your support. If you're not a member, you can join for as little as 70 bucks a year. Just go to boosters.fsu.edu to learn more. And now sit back, keep your seat, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle. Well, you know the drill. Enjoy the show. Here's Front Row Knowles. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ back with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to see you, sir. Good to be seen, although we're on the radio, so we're fessing up to everybody that we're doing this via Zoom, though they can't participate in it. But uh, happy happy Wednesday to you. Well, thank you, sir. Uh, Among the things uh, we will get to today, the Florida State soccer team is the top seed in the NCAA tournament. And we will talk with... We'll talk with the national champion head coach, Mark Krikorian, coming up in just a little bit. One of the most bizarre setups you could think of ever. You, you play all your games in the fall. You earn the number one seed. And here you are months later playing. Not totally true. They've played plenty of exhibition games, but it is bizarre due to COVID. So we'll have that conversation. On the baseball field, Keith, we can talk about this real quick. First of all, I'm going to pat at least myself on the back, maybe you too. But last week we made the point that the baseball team, once the semester ends, they tend to find the offense and focus on baseball a little bit more. And all of a sudden it's like they're breathing a little more free and easy and things get better. Now they didn't win every game. They lost the Sunday game to Georgia tech, but lo and behold, half the team is suddenly hitting better and they're hitting four home runs a game. Well, what happened, see, is we had the pink moon coming up, right? And we're going to have that again in May. And that reflection makes the ball look bigger uh, particularly if you're a catcher. So as a result, you can lead the nation in home runs and the team can hit better. Well, two separate things, because the catcher hitting the baseball has not been one of the questions. So just to finish the initial thought, I mean, Nander all of a sudden is hitting better. If Cabell's going to hit better, Jackson Green had a home run over the weekend. I mean, if you can get production one through nine in the lineup, you're going to get a lot better results. And that's what we saw over the last few days. On the downside, Reese Albert is out for the year. Yep, yep. I, I can't say – I'm certainly not happy about that, but he was struggling so much that I think hitting the reset button and coming back and starting when the batting average says zero, zero, zero. And I don't know if he's coming back to FSU, but whatever the next team is he plays on, at least you're kind of starting from scratch and you hit the reset button in his personal case. Because he, he never no. got back to what he, what he was able to do with that big home run at LSU. Nope, he didn't. And, and but there will be those that argue that uh, you know his glove might be missed uh, in the outfield. Um, there will be those that argue it won't be as well. So uh, everybody can just argue. Well, that's what we do nowadays, anyway. But now bringing it back to Matthew Nelson, who homered again last night against Stetson. This is the forty-eight hour period he has. He gets hit by a warm-up pitch late in the game, maybe the sixth or seventh inning on Sunday. And everybody, he gets removed from the game, and now we're all waiting on the x-ray result, hoping there's not a fracture. 
there wasn't. He's listed day to day. So we breathe a sigh of relief and he steps in on Tuesday and his very first at bat, he just hits another home run. So no big deal. Uh, NBD, I think the young people call it. I'll say this and I, you know, things get a little foggy as I get older, as we've talked about Keith, but I had the, the pleasure of being involved with the baseball program when Buster Posey played. Uh, I started in 07 and 08, which was Buster's sophomore and junior years, which is the two years he played catcher at FSU as a freshman in 06. He had been an infielder, uh, a shortstop, as we'll recall. And so I got to see the, the season that Buster had in 08, which is one for the ages. And now we're in different bats, bear in mind. So the average is not nearly the same. I mean, Buster was hitting 450 or 500 most of that year, whatever he wound up hitting. And it was a spectacle. One of the games Buster played all nine positions. I mean, remember Buster, not only was he the catcher, but he would catch the first seven innings and and then they'd go use him as a closer in the ninth inning when he, you know, so, I mean, he, he literally did everything and it was, it was amazing to watch that Uh, very good defensive catcher too, obviously. And you'd watch him throw guys out. That's the part of Matt Nelson that's not being talked about right now. I mean, he's thrown out 12 of 25 would-be base dealers. I mean, he has gotten so much better defensively. He's really rock solid there. And at the plate, I, everything that comes up to the plate just must look like a beach ball to him. I mean, everything must appear the size of a beach ball. He, he, you know, he, he would make the argument that the difference between the two, and I think there's, what, 12 years apart. I think Buster was here 12 years ago uh, in his uh, junior year, um, is the average. But, you know, fast forward from Buster to now, another decade, you don't pay as much attention to the average as you used to. No, you're right. So uh, it's, it's just a different ball game, even though it's only 12 years removed. Well, one commonality, another commonality would be the clutch performance, because part of what Buster did now, obviously, if you're hitting 500, you're getting hit every other time up. Right. But he delivered in the clutch. I remember one game, the ACC baseball tournament was over in Jacksonville. We were playing North Carolina. And Buster was getting a day off, I think. I don't even think he played that game, but they pinch hit him late in the game. Might have been extra innings. And lo and behold, he hits a ball in the six hole, and it's like a two-run single late in that game. I mean, he, he just delivered in the clutch. And I don't know if you'd say everything Matt Nelson is doing is in the clutch, but, man, when they've needed something, he's been a spark. Uh, he's actually done a lot early on, which you could argue is not necessarily the clutch when you're in the first couple innings. But I, I think that is a little bit of a common bond between them too. It's just been impressive to watch Matt, what he's done. Yeah. You know what we're going to do next, right? Come Friday, he's hit a home run in four consecutive games. What's that FSU record? Can he, get, can he meet it? Can he exceed it? Uh, that'll be what all the focus is on. You know, I honestly don't know. I'm sure somebody has looked that up and, and found it out. I don't recall the home run streaks, JD drew, or I, I don't know how many games in a row it is, but somebody will look it I, up. I, I bet it belongs to Ledbetter, but that's just my personal take on it i'm sure it does because what did he have 20 48 or something 20 home runs in the first 20 games of a season yeah something like that yeah anyway all right so we start with baseball we're going to get to soccer and bob franti our osceola insider will join us a little bit later on among other things this week the acc's new commissioner paid a visit to tallahassee uh met with the media but um it was more well in addition uh i'm not saying that was a throw-in but he also met with Florida State officials toured the facilities, met some student athletes, uh, all part of uh, sort of the welcome to the ACC campaign. Uh, I'm not aware that he announced that they're going to triple their television revenue just based on his presence in the commissioner's chair. However, I don't think that announcement was made. 
Well, it was quietly, it was doubled. So it wasn't tripled. Quietly, it was doubled. I'm teasing. Did you see, by the way, that the NCAA announced that they've re-upped uh, Mark Emmert and how they did so? I saw that they had re-upped, and then I threw up, and then I didn't read anymore. They buried it in a release under the heading Other Business, like at the bottom of page three, Other Business. The NCAA has renewed the contract to Mark Emmert through 2025. <laughs> well, I think our listeners will catch the drift, as they say. I don't want to bring us down, uh, but we do need to talk about this. Really, the biggest news involving Florida State this week or the Florida State family is uh, Gino Hayes, uh, the passing of, of, of Gino at at any age you don't want to hear, but at age in your early 30s. I didn't even know he was sick and battling this until last week when those stories made their way around that he was in hospice care. And just a really, really sad story for a guy who was a pretty good football player, not just at Florida State, but at the NFL level as well. He uh, has been, as has been reported, has the distinction of literally replacing Derek Brooks at the weak side linebacker position with the Bucks. Played four years, started three of them with the Bucks, and then went on and uh, finished up with seven years in the league. Thirty-three years of age, leaves behind his wife and and, and two kids. Grew up in uh, in Greenville. Uh, played at Madison County. He was a cowboy. The fact that we didn't know much about it. Tommy speaks to who Gino Hayes was. His friends knew him, knew him well. But those of us that were just acquaintances, he didn't go out of his way to make himself known or to talk about himself. Uh, in fact, one of the last quotes that I read from him uh, was about a week ago when he was talking about how you need to be strong. And basically he said, don't pay attention to social media. He was not a big social media guy. Originally, as I understand it, was diagnosed with the cirrhosis, which some speculated might be uh, alcohol related. That was certainly not the case. And uh, he had a history of uh, disease in his family. Uh, there was a speculation, and I don't know that this will ever be decided, that some over-the-counter um, pain medications that he took when he played you know, might have contributed to uh, a little bit of the problem. But um, a great guy, a wonderful teammate, uh, a very representative Seminole and Buccaneer. And um, as I say, he didn't go out of his way to be flashy or to make uh, a name for himself. But I'm told from those that knew him, quality guy, great dad, great father, uh, great husband will be will be missed. And uh, Seminole families lost a good one. The story or the highlights that were pointed to this week, most notably, were the upset of number two Boston College on a chilly night in Chestnut Hill when he had the game ceiling interception pick six off of Matt Ryan. And uh, I remember being pleased at that point because I was frozen. I was part of the frozen tundra, I think, that night. And and if you're going to be as that cold, recall, you'd, like, you'd like to win the game, which is what happened. As I recall, you ran step for step with him from the 50-yard line all the way across the goal line on the FSU sideline. Or is that urban legend? Uh, I don't even think it's urban legend because most would be able to immediately determine that there's no chance that I could have run step for step with Gino, even if it was for three yards, let alone uh, much more than that, Keith. <laughs> that was a big pick six, though, a big pick six, and it was cold. Goodness gracious, it was cold. It was indeed. All right, so anyway, uh, RIP Gino Hayes, condolences to, to family and friends. Big loss for the Florida State family. We will turn our attention to 
NCAA women's soccer and Florida State's chances as that tournament gets underway when head coach Mark Krikorian joins us in just a little bit. Then Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. Stay with us. We're just getting warmed up here on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back to Front Row Knowles. Let's open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency, ensuring your future together, and say hello to Mark Krikorian, the longtime soccer coach for Florida State. And coaches, as we say welcome, I, you know, I pulled up your schedule, and I'm wondering how many times in your career the schedule has shown one game on November 15th and the next game on May 1st. I mean, I'm all for being rested and ready, but that's a little bit long of a break, don't you think? Yeah, it's been a really interesting spring. This, uh, this COVID situation sure has uh, changed the landscape in the world of college soccer, I guess, in the, wor- in the world as a whole as well. But uh yeah, we, um, we had a really interesting spring, and um, with us having the automatic qualifier in the ACC uh, in the fall, it gave us a lot of flexibility. So uh, we were able to, to do some non-traditional things. We had four competitions against uh, women's professional teams, uh, gave our kids a chance to measure themselves against some world stars, uh, Alex Morgan and Marta and uh, Sydney LaRue and uh, Ashlyn Harris, Allie Krieger. So I think that our, our spring was uh, kind of a quiet one, but um, a, a pretty valuable, I think. Mark, you also had a chance to, to play a, a game or two, match or two against a collegiate. Um, how many total games were you able to get in during that period? So we ended up with seven uh, games here in the spring. We played uh, an exhibition game against the University of Florida. We played two games against the Orlando Pride. Uh, we played two games against the uh, Racing Louisville, which is a women's professional team out of Louisville. And then we played two games against uh, a men's club team. So really a non-conventional spring for us, but um, I think pretty beneficial, though. Did you try to space the games out akin to what a normal season would be or maybe akin to how the NCAA tournament would unfold from a rest and get ready again standpoint? Well, we tried. Um, we, we did, uh, knowing that we had such a large block of time between when we started training in January and when we're leaving here for the NCAA tournament to play in May, um, we thought it was important to kind of spread those games out during the time so that it wasn't so far between games that it wasn't realistic, but also not wanting to have all the games one on top of each other. Then we'd just be playing against each other for months. So um, I think that by and large, we did a pretty good job working with the opponents to uh, find the schedule that made sense for all of us. And uh, it seemed to work for us pretty well. Off the, off the grass, as they might say, you spent some time uh, reaching out to folks that have been in the quote unquote bubbles and analyzing the, the, you know, being confined and the testing and all that. What, what did you learn from your colleagues that you're, you're really happy that you know going up there and what might you be still concerned about? Um, probably the best um, thing that we learned was that preparation and having an understanding of what it might look like, uh, eliminating um, uncertainty for the players will probably lead us in a direction to be more successful. And 
you know, clear, open communication with the players of what the expectations are going to be, what it might look like, how it is that uh, we're going to have to uh, uh, go through whatever protocols it is that the NCAA is going to give to us. Um, and probably the biggest thing we learned, is, and it's important to us here in the soccer office, we talk about it a lot, is flexible thinking. Uh, this year, like no other, uh, we have very little control of many, many aspects of what it is that we're going to go into. And um, in speaking with um, Brooke, our women's basketball coach and uh, our trainer of our, our men's basketball team, and uh, Brooke was uh, kind and generous enough to, to give me a, a phone number of a friend of hers that's um, assistant basketball coach at Louisville Women, who had some great ideas and great insights as well. So um, I think that the, the one thing that we learned was that we need to come up with a plan. We need to share the plan with the team. We need to kind of make sure that we're adjusting on the fly as different things come up. But probably being grateful for the opportunity to play is important to us. Um, and one of the phrases that was used that, uh, that we've stolen uh, from the Louisville folks is an attitude of gratitude. And uh, it's easy to sit back and complain. It's easy to find fault with anything and everything else that's going on. But I think uh, probably um, we could be sitting here and have no opportunity to compete for a national championship. And, and that's not the attitude we're taking. We're, we're thrilled to be able to go. We're thrilled to be able to compete. And uh, we're going to hopefully have our best performances when we need them. We talked with Lonnie um, uh, from the softball team three or four or five weeks ago. And she mentioned that, especially with baseball and softball, with rainouts and rescheduling double headers and things like that, you're kind of used to that. Your ladies are kind of used to quarantining from the standpoint with their national teams, with their travel teams. They go someplace, they stay for a number of days, play a couple, three, four matches. You, you're the one that's got to learn how to do this all over again, don't you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that, um, We've all kind of been through it. Um, you know, we survived the fall on the road together when we had to go and play uh, away competitions. Um, it doesn't feel as though the, the level to what this quarantine is going to be is going to be the same as what it was for the basketball programs. Uh, probably the NCAA has learned some things along the way, and uh, probably there's uh, some other factors that are leading in the direction that we're headed. But uh, um, as I said, we're... Our, our kids are excited. They're ready to go. They're ready to measure themselves and uh, see exactly how good our team really is. We're talking with FSU soccer coach Mark Krikorian, and I guess we should clarify for our listeners' sake who may not be aware that the soccer tournament normally, you know, if you're the top seed, you're going to play at home all the way through to the College Cup, which is what, what soccer calls the Final Four. But there is truly a bubble this year, and it's all being contested in North Carolina. Uh, I don't know if it's as, as close geographically as what, say, men's basketball was in Indianapolis, but can you kind of outline how it how it sets up there with the, with the College Cup taking place in Cary as well? Sure. So the, the selection was different this year, like many of the different sports. So it's a reduced field that went from typical 64 to 48. Um, so in doing that, they uh, gave the top 16 teams a bye. So all of those other 32 teams that, that weren't in the top 16, they're playing right now. So uh, yesterday and today are the first round games uh, for the 16 seeds. Uh, all of us will be traveling in today and tomorrow uh, for the second round games. Um, for us, we, um, we were placed in the Cary uh, region, uh, which is great for us. Uh, so we'll be staying right there at the same hotel uh, for whatever the, the length of our stay is, hopefully through the uh, College Cup. Uh, 
Um, so we'll be training at and playing in, in and around the same area, and it will become very familiar to us very quickly. Uh, as you know, Tom, we've had an awful lot of opportunities over the years uh, to play up in that area, whether it be ACC championships or college cups or whatever. So we kind of feel like it's our second home anyway. So it's not uh, not not that big of a deal. Mark, you and I ran into each other a couple of weeks ago. We were actually at the Tucker Center getting uh, our, our vaccines taken care of. And uh, so we were waiting after we got our shots, right? So we were just chit-chatting. And uh, you really expressed to me, and you've talked about this some, but your your focus or concern was more on the mental aspect of everything than the physical side. And I, I do wonder, when you talk about, you know, real games, one in November and the next one in May, I mean, how do you keep practice enthusiastic? How do you keep the interest level where you need it to be so that, that the team is getting better? Uh, or, or how do you prevent being lethargic because you've been in the same hotel room for 12 days? I mean, I think that's where your concerns are. Yeah, I'm not worried at all about uh, the preparation in terms of going and playing the game. I think that with the spring competition we put together, that our, our kids are in a good spot physically and uh, the emotional part mentally ready to play. The bigger concern is that we've never gone on the road and been together for three weeks or whatever the amount of time is that we could possibly be there and keeping things, things fresh and making sure that uh, uh, it's not a, a physical and mental drain on them, you know, staying in hotel day after day after day. And I'm sure that uh, you guys understand it as well. When we go recruiting me and my staff and you're on the road for four or five or six days, you get tired of eating in restaurants every single meal. You get tired of that same routine and the food becomes heavy. And again, no, no issue with the, the, the lifestyle. It's just, it will be very different than anything we've experienced. You know, a couple of years ago, we took our kids to Europe and that was a 10 day trip. And that's probably the longest we've ever been on the road together. And, and again, there you're going to Holland and Belgium and, uh, and uh, France, and you're seeing all of these different things. So it's going to be fresh and it's going to be new. Uh, the question becomes what happens after day 15, 16, 17, if we're fortunate enough to be up there, you know, in and around the same people, quarantining or, or, or certainly being cautious and careful. It's not like we can just send them out. Hey, guys, go ahead out and have some fun. Um, there's none of that going to go on. So I think it's going to be um, really important for us to be in tune with you know, how the kids are feeling, making sure we're trying to accommodate what it is that their needs are, getting out, getting fresh air, going for walks, finding places that would be uh, safe for them to go and, uh, and not risky, but um, still understanding that it is a different time right now. Mark, not to belabor the point, but one last observation. Tom and I talked about this last week as it relates to, to me, Mike Martin Jr. and the baseball team. They play a lot of their season when school's not in session. Do you and your group routinely participate in collegiate things when classes are not being held? We've never done that before. This is yeah. another yeah. first. And, you know, in some ways, maybe the distraction, and I, I don't mean that in a negative fashion, but the distraction of having classes um, could, have, could have been a positive thing. Uh, I do feel for the schools that are in exams in and around this time, uh, we've been through that situation a number of times in a traditional season with playing in the college cup and then coming back to final exams a day, you know, after you, the win or lose in the national final. And I think that's a, a really tough thing. And, you know, our kids here and uh, throughout the country, most of these young women are 
really academic, they're conscientious, they're great students and um, you know, they take it so seriously. So I think probably we're a little bit fortunate that our semester is over academically um, and we're not in final exams because I think that would add another layer of stress that would be very difficult. Let's go on the field. Enough of this this COVID talk. Uh, tell us about your team. Uh, I, I know that you like the makeup a lot. I know you don't have all the pieces that you had in the fall, but nevertheless, you feel you've got a really talented team. Yeah, it may be top to bottom the most talented team we've ever had. And I say that with a 2014-2018 national champions, uh, um, outstanding teams. Um, but this group has more depth and there's uh, more quality top to bottom than what we had previously. And uh, I think our staff has done a really good job. Um, and that's the technical staff, as well as the strength and conditioning and the medical team of preparing our, our players uh, to be both physically and mentally ready to go out and compete. Um, but when I watched the players play, when I watched them in training yesterday, I thought they looked really good and really sharp and uh, uh, very talented. So um if we play at our highest level, we should be able to play in, in deep into the tournament. If we don't, then anything happens. But uh, in terms of the overall quality of the team, the quality of the players, I think it's really very good. Uh, but, you know, soccer is a funny game, and uh, it doesn't always end the way you want it to. In years past, uh, arguably, you may disagree because all of your kids are the same, but, you know, there's been some superstars and, and maybe not the big name players this year, but also, that means somebody you haven't maybe been thinking about can rise to an occasion. You don't have to rely on just a handful of people. Yeah, we certainly have had some big-name players over the years, and uh, I think one would argue, most anyone we're going to play would argue that we still have a, a collection of uh, big-name players. Um, but we do have a cohesive unit, um, more maturity than we've ever had, I think, and um, you know, more fifth year kids. And, you know, what that often implies is that they've had injury at a younger age and uh, have redshirt uh, situation. But it's just a, a really good combination of uh, quality kids, quality players, uh, great attitude, great mentality. It's as professional a mentality as I've been around, uh, certainly here and uh, maybe even before. Mark, I don't want to sidetrack this too far, and we'll we'll wrap up here shortly. But when you talk about a big name player, I mean Dana Castellanos, maybe not in in the U.S., but in her home country. I mean she's Michael Jordan, or if not at that level, pretty high level. And and I'm curious, all the name image likeness, the NIL conversation has been about the football quarterback or the basketball star. How do you see it impacting? I mean you're you're recruiting world class players that if we, we may not know their name here in the states. But, but they're on the short list of the top players in their home countries, a lot of them. Yeah, it would have been really interesting. Dana was a little bit ahead of her time, unfortunately, um, with regard to that. Uh, I don't know how many kids here, Tom, uh, of our student-athletes, as popular and as well-known as they are, come even close to touching her celebrity, right? She had, what, 1.3 million Twitter and Instagram followers or something along those lines, and you know, most of these athletes here, I don't know, what do they have, 10,000, 5,000, 20,000, something like that. So 1.3 million is a lot of people. Um, you know, as all this name, image, likeness stuff starts to unfold, it'll really be interesting to see how that all comes together. Um, you know, there are immigration laws and rules around the internationals being able to 
quote unquote work in this country and work off campus. So I think that our, um, our international office here is partnering with our compliance office and a few others to see how this uh, will affect the international student athletes. Um, you can only imagine a, a player like Yuji Zhao uh, being one of the top, maybe the top young player in China and with their uh, population, if she um, were to be able to profit from name, image, and likeness, um, that uh, Chinese population would be one I wouldn't mind uh, having support me. <laughs> <laughs> the Seminole soccer team will play three o'clock Saturday against either Elon or Milwaukee. Uh, that game is, by the time you're listening to this, that game will be in the books, but uh, we're recording it before that game's played. Uh, last question for you, Coach. Will we go back to a normal soccer season in, in the fall? So, I mean, is there going to be two 2021 national champions or you could win two in the same year? Is that the way that's going to set up? Boy, that sounds pretty good to me, Tom. Um, we are going back to a regular championship in the fall, and uh, I don't know whether they'll call this championship the 2020 or the first of two 2021 chair. I, I have no idea how all that will play out, but – as I said, we're just excited to get up to Carolina and to go out and compete and and um, and, and see how good we actually can be. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's on it. When you win it, it'll be the third one, and then when you win <laughs> it again, it'll be the fourth one. There you go. I appreciate that. I hope you're right. All right. Stay safe. Travel safe. That is Coach Mark Corian. We'll take a break. Come back with more on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Welcome back on Front Row Knowles. Tom and KJ, thanks to Coach Mark Krikorian for joining us. Bob, you got a tough act to follow as we say hello to our Osceola Insider Bob Ferrante, who joins us on the Earl Bacon Agency Hotline. Bob, how are you, sir? I'm doing really, really well. It's it's hard to follow up Coach Krikorian, though. That's uh, that really is a tough act. Here's here's the question I teased in the in the break before you came on. You get to choose one coach, current head coach at Florida State. Who's at the top of the list when you got Krikorian is one two, you got Lonnie's one one, Trey Jones is knocking at the door several times. Leonard Hamilton has this team. I mean, we can go. We can go through them all. Obviously, I sold Bob Brayman short. He's won a few national championships. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, it's a great conversation starter. Um, you know, Leonard Hamilton could say, "Hey, what what would have happened last year if I had gotten a chance to coach that great team in, in the in the Big Dance?" And you know, Dick Vitale, of course, you know, wrote the book that had Florida State winning the national title. I I think when when you look at you've reached the pinnacle and you've won the titles that, that kind of puts you in a tier, you know, a little, little bit of separation from the rest. And Mark Recorian's done it. I mean, he's elevated this program to, you know, as he has said, UNC used to be the bar and they went out and said, we're going to exceed that bar and take it even farther. And then they have, um, and, and Lonnie Alameda has done an incredible job. I, I would say you'd have to put coach Recorian up there just because he's got two rings. We were talking Bob Brayman would tell you, he should, Bob Brayman should have three, by the way. One of them got taken yeah. away, right? So he'd be it the leader did. of the clubhouse. 
excuse me, Tommy, we were talking before about um, where soccer, the time of year that they play, Bob, and, and the fact that, you know, in years past when they're in the fall, football's still going on. I mean, how much greater visibility could the soccer programs across the country and Florida State in particular have if they weren't butting heads all the time against college football? Honestly, women's soccer is, is greatly undercovered. I'm, I'm speaking as a guy in the media who's supposed to be covering them more. It's, it's hard in football season to also, you know, give women's soccer and a program like this the coverage it deserves. I think now with it being in May, it, it's going to get that spotlight. Um, it, it's, it's a one-time deal because of the pandemic, but I think it's going to be incredible. You know, hopefully we'll be able to see, you know, women's soccer you know, games for, for weeks and weeks. And, and I think Florida State's fully capable of, of making a big-time run here. I mean, they, they can truly make a run with a roster that's, that's pretty much what was in, in shape from, you know, September, October, November when they, they made that run in the ACC title. So it's, um, it's going to be fun to watch them on Saturday for sure. I hope that one lasting thing that comes out of this, this whole pandemic, and we've talked about it more as it relates to football specifically you know the conversations because you had to do it will you now consider not having divisions in the ACC or all those kind of things that you might not have tried without the pandemic forcing your hand but related to soccer and every other sport I wonder if they will have legitimate conversations now that say you know what actually it would make sense if we started three weeks later or if we did something a little bit you know instead of just doing it this way because we've always done it this way hopefully some of that happens in in coming years. Yeah, you know, I had even suggested, you know, could you have started football later because of the pandemic in in 2020, but kind of showcase your Olympic sports in August and early September. And I I think it was a great opportunity. You know, women's soccer was, I think, the first Florida State sport to play in in the fall of 2020. And, and, And it was, again, it was encouraging to see that program back on the field, to see, you know, live college sports. It's tough. It I think soccer is, is just up against football and other sports, but, but May is a great time. I, I do think though it's a one-time deal, honestly, because of, you know, the women's pro soccer season in the summer here because of international competition, you got Olympic competition too. It's, it's a tough sport to move around too much on the calendar, but at the same time, I, I've always kind of preached schedule flexibility and move things around to where, you can give things a spotlight that they deserve. So, so why not look at it in, in future years and just think about, do you start earlier? Do you start later? What, what can you do just to, to raise the profile through, through TV and, and media and other opportunities? Well, Bob, the ACC commissioner was in town uh, recently, and I know you had uh, numerous hours of one-on-one time with him because he didn't have anything else to do. So I'm sure you brought all that up with him, right? Yeah, we, um, you know, candidly, we had a meet and greet with uh, with Commissioner Phillips, and and you know he was asking us to to keep things off the record, which which we honestly appreciate the chance just to meet him and, and talk and, and get to know him. And I, I will say he's he's very candid and very energetic. But um, I think what's more important is that he spent a lot of time with you know student athletes. He met with a small group of of men and women on campus. You know, without coaches, he, he wanted he wanted them to be quite candid and speak about their experience. Um, how COVID had affected them in and out of the classroom. Spoke with the coaches here, administrators, got to tour, you know, the Seminole Legacy Golf Course and some other facilities and, and then caught the four state Stetson game last night. So I think 
you know, visits from a commissioner in this conference have, have been rare. I, I, I can't recall um, Mr. Swafford coming beyond, say, a football game. So for this to happen in, in a year, obviously it's being done for a reason so that he can meet people face to face and, and build connections beyond Zoom. But I, I think it was quite necessary for him to do this. And, and again, for him to meet student athletes kind of in a small group and, and to get them to, to share their thoughts and, and maybe give some ideas for him. Um, he, he's very much a progressive thinker and I think he deeply cares about what, uh, what student athletes want and think. You mentioned Seminole Legacy Golf Course, Bob. I, on Monday, I, I pulled up the stream as Florida State was in the match play against Clemson, and uh, unfortunately, it went Clemson's way. But both the men and women finished as runners-up in the conference. Remind me, what uh, postseason – is it one or both are hosting the regionals here this year? I know there's NCAA play in Tallahassee at that course, right? Yeah, men are going to host at Seminole Legacy in, in the middle of May. Uh, I'm not sure where the women are, to be to be quite honest, but it, it's going to be a great showcase for that course. Um, you know, talking with Trey Jones a couple of weeks ago, I even asked him, you know, what it's been like to have the course, but then you can't show it off to recruits at the same time because it's been a dead period for them. We've talked about this dead period as it affects football and basketball. And, and he said, you know, it's like having a Mercedes and saying you got to keep it parked in the garage. Well, you can't show it off to high school prospects because you're just not allowed to. But now I think some people will get to see it um, based on highlights and streaming coverage of, of regionals. And then on June 1, I think it's going to be really fun for them to be able to say, hey, we've, we've got, if not the best college golf course in the country, you know, one of the top ones. And, and that can only help you when you've been recruiting at a really high level. I think it can really only help you even further. All right, the baseball team bats have come alive. We don't have to worry about any more slumping from the from uh, Mike Martin Jr.'s group, right? <laughs> you know, I think the biggest worry I had was was Sunday when Matthew Nelson was pulled out of the game with an injury. I thought, you know, it, it takes a lot to get Matt Nelson out of a game. That that might be an injury that concerns you. And and then to see he was in the lineup on Tuesday was was quite comforting, I think, for a lot of Florida State fans because He's, he does so much for them, whether it's at the plate or, you know, handling the pitching staff and throwing out runners. Um, I, I think he, he's kind of that tone setter, that leader for, for, the, for the dugout. They're, they're going to have some, some definite speed bumps moving forward. I mean, Reese Albert had the knee surgery and he won't be back. That's, that's going to be a tough, tough thing for them because it, it, it affects your depth um, up and down the lineup. And Mike Martin Jr., I think one thing you have to credit him to is, is he has looked to the pitching staff, you know, to guys who can hit. You know, Wyatt Crowell has played the outfield in DH. Parker Messick, DH. Um, you know, Davis Hare is now dh a, a couple times. And, you know, the results have been very, very positive. So you're, you're kind of looking up and down the roster for answers just to kind of strengthen the bottom of the order. And, and that's what you have to do as a, as a coach is just kind of push the right buttons and, and hope that they do work. So, um, but the clock is ticking until May 15 when, when these uh, regional bids are announced and force just has to stack some wins. Uh, Troy's not your best opportunity quite candidly, but you know, when you go up to Notre Dame, that's a chance to win two out of three and continue to, to build your resume within the ACC. It'd be nice to just get a sweep though, because they've Sundays have gotten away from them several times. The bottom of the order did hit this weekend. Now we'll see if that continues. I mean, you, you see some guys heating up and 
apparently somebody got word to Matthew Nelson that we were talking about Jeff Ledbetter's season mark of 42 home runs last week on the show because he has hit a home run in every game since then. You are aware of that, right? I, I mean, I, I sometimes I look at Matthew Nelson's stats game by game on Seminoles.com, and I, I just kind of shake my head because it's so incredibly consistent and impressive what he's done. Um, you know, as Lulu reminded me, though, you know, Ledbetter did a lot of that before there was a fence in right field. And it's not knocking anything that, that Jeff did. It was, it's, it's remarkable. But there is a fence now, and that's, that's kind of turned a lot of those home runs into, you know, doubles. But um, Matthew Nelson's season is up there, not just nationally in 2021, but it's truly up there with some of the great years that we've seen from any Florida State history and in program history. Well, Tom and I, we, we, we fell into the trap. We, we automatically and have already begun the Buster Posey comparison. So uh, he's going to have a uh, 11 or 12 year career in the major leagues, win three or four uh, World Series championships and be a most valuable player in whatever league he's playing in. Take that to the bank. You know, I think the cool thing is he has a professional mindset and I've kind of gone back and forth because you never want to say, a redshirt sophomore is going to be a major leaguer. There's no doubt about it. But the more you watch him, and it's not just the home runs, you watch him, you say, that's, that looks like a major leaguer at the college level. And I, I think a guy like Mike Metcalf in the dugout every night, okay, he watched Buster Posey, helped to draft Buster as a Giants scout, um, drafted Joey Bart you know, from Georgia Tech, another catcher when he was with the Giants. I think he's seeing another guy like that in, in Matthew Nelson, a guy who I'm not going to say he's a first round pick, but he's putting together that kind of resume and he, and he kind of feels like a guy who you think, Hey, he's going to be in the majors and he's, he's going to have a long career. Let's move over to football, Bob, before we get to the draft, which is tomorrow night. Uh, we talked about Geno Hayes and his passing in our first segment. Any recollections for you? particularly or personally with Gino? Yeah, I had a, a long conversation with Derek Nicholson last night, who's at Louisville. And, and you could, you could tell Derek was, was in pain. That was his roommate and, and one of his friends. And, you know, they, they had a lot of, they shared a lot of stories about their futures and what they wanted to do off the field and on the field. But I think he, he said it well, you know, it, it's time to remember the legacy of Gino and, and, and to spread the positivity of who he was that, you know, he was a guy who was always joyful and, and loved hanging out with people. And, and that's, that's what they're going to do now. They're going to kind of share that legacy and, and spread the word to, uh, to family and friends. You know, Gino's got a couple of young kids and they, they want to, you know, remind, remind the kids of just who their dad was, is, and, you know, remind them of, of who his dad, um, what, what he stood for. And so I, I, I think it's, it's tough. It's an incredibly tough loss to lose somebody at 33, but, it's also important just to remember his legacy too. Okay. NFL draft and Asante Samuel jr. Let's let's, you know, we, maybe we should put some money on this or uh, lunch or beverages or something. All right. So Bob Asante first round, second round, other round, what you got? I think early second round um, just because teams won't, won't love the height, the 510, 180, but the comp is his dad, you know, he is his dad, and I think you can see a guy who could be in the league for 10 years. KJ, hit me with a round. 
Uh, I go early second as well, uh, early second as well, for all the reasons that uh, have been talked about. I guess the, the next one off the board will be Marvin. And I don't know that I've got him going until the third round. I think uh, Hamza might be the next one off the board. You do? Yeah, I think Marvin might be more fourth or fifth round, honestly. That's really? Yeah. What you got, Bob? Yeah, Hamza, I think, I mean, he's viewed as a top five safety, and, and we have to see kind of how the safety board shakes out. But a lot of teams have really loved him. He's a downhill player, a thumper. I, I think you have question marks about what he is in coverage, you know, moving backwards. But and, and in the box safety, who could be, um, you know, late second, early third round. Did the other three get drafted or are they uh, uh, free agents? I think teams will fall in love with Janarius Robinson. That, that wingspan of, I think it's 86 inches is just absurd. Um, he, he has had just an incredible run since the senior bowl. Um, and, and my theory, I think I've shared this with you guys in the past with his mom and his home being settled, you know, in Panama city after hurricane Michael, he doesn't take to the football field worry about, his mom and his situation and taking care of her as much and the FSU community helped to kind of alleviate those, those concerns. So I, I think, I think J Rob is a guy who teams are going to take a flyer on um, in those middle rounds, fourth round or so, just because he has the frame, the wingspan and the pass rushing capabilities that, that you're kind of looking for. The national guys say this isn't a great pass rushing draft and you know, to that end, you see a guy like Jay Rob who kind of fits what you're looking for. Okay, Bob, let's wrap up on hoops. It's hard to be under the radar, but, you know, Florida State just goes ahead and gets a guy to transfer from Kentucky into FSU. That's the way basketball rolls these days. What can you tell us about what they landed? You know, I think when you look at the numbers, it's not super impressive what, what Cam Fletcher has done. But I think he just didn't fit into the mix they had there at Kentucky. Um, it, it sounds like this is a guy who understands and likes playing defense. Um, a guy who's going to fit in really well with what Leonard Hamilton wants to do. Um, I'm presuming he's, he's got at least three years to play if that's what he chooses to do so, um, being a freshman last year at Kentucky. So he's certainly a big piece of, of a roster that is, is changing dramatically. Um, even more than we expected. I mean, we thought Raekwon Gray was going to depart. We knew Scotty Barnes was going to depart. Uh, Balsa was one that you hoped, hey, you know, stay one more year and be a first-team All-ACC type. But they've really had to kind of get creative, hit the portal harder than I think Leonard Hamilton will tell you he wants to do. I think he wants to develop freshmen and keep them here as long as possible. But this is this is college basketball. It's the reality of what you've got to do as far as you know, shaping the roster and, and, and doing it moving forward. I think, look, nationally, teams, um, not teams, but analysts will yet again doubt Leonard Hamilton, how good this roster is. And, and let's, let's kind of wait and see what the product looks like before we fall into that trap of, of doubting, you know, how much replacing and, and, and plugging in new pieces. Coach Ham and his staff continue to do it. Ten, count them, ten of his kids graduated last week uh that's just a continuing of a remarkable run Uh, we don't talk enough about it it doesn't get enough headlines i know you've got to win blah 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 but uh, hats off to to coach ham and his staff and academic support that's a phenomenal accomplishment 
And only two of his guys who have stayed for four years have not graduated. And I, I think they're going to try and get at least one of those guys to, to come back between his overseas, you know, pro season. So, yeah, I mean, they, that's their mission. You know, academics is what we do is one of the quotes that, that I was told from the academic staff. That's, that's what Leonard Hamilton is all about. Bob, good stuff. Thanks for uh, tuning in and uh, we'll chat with you again next week. Take care. Thanks. Our Osceola insider, Bob Ferrante, back with some final thoughts on Front Row Knowles right after this. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Welcome back as we finish things up. Tom and KJ with you. So do you, do you watch the NFL draft, Keith? I mean, do you sit back and I don't sit no I don't I don't sit through it what I usually do is wait till you know 11 ish and then catch the recap or tune in at the latter part and watch the crawl uh, but I do pay attention to it because you surely like to note I mean you know I'm sitting there looking at the draft projections and and we've talked about this you know you got three or four uh, defensive kids for Florida State that are going to get drafted but yet the on the field stuff numbers weren't quite what you expect them to be. Uh, you look at Alabama and, and Landon Dickerson, who originally signed with Florida State, ends up being an All-American and, and is going to get drafted despite his knee injury. Uh, you see two Alabama defensive linemen that are going to go ahead of Marvin, and, and you can't even tell me their names because neither one of them was All-Americans per se. They were all SEC, but not All-Americans. But you know, they'll have 10-year pro careers, blah, blah, blah. And so I pay attention to it. I really do. Well, we uh, – yeah, it's fun. I think it's fun. And there will be a few guys from FSU that uh, get drafted tomorrow night. But the, the question on the field becomes, you know, how many guys on the current team are draft picks down the road? And that's what Mike Norvell and company are, are trying to turn around, you know, which is why there's so much talk about – I don't know if respectability is the right word, but you got to make progress this year. And we haven't dived too deep about what constitutes progress coming off a three win season. But in my mind, you got to get to a bowl, you know, you got to get six wins at least and get to a bowl. And uh, then it feels like it's a a step forward. Certainly the momentum would, would say that that's got to have in order to have momentum, you got to say that's going to happen. You know, I'll go back to one other thing and you're going to reach through the uh, lens here and shoot me. Uh, or grab me at least, but you know, in, in 40 years ago, last defense I played on, we had one kid drafted off of that group, basically. Now Alfonso Character was a freshman that year; he got drafted later on. But we basically had Bobby Butler was the only true draft pick off of that group, and and that speaks to where I'm going. That we may not have some superstars for the next two or three years. Because Norvell's trying to build a team, and until you get a team that wins consistently at seven, eight, nine games a year, you're not always going to attract the kids that can end up being first and second and third round draft picks. So we may, we may be lamenting the lack of quote-unquote recognized talent 
but hopefully the product on the field is performing better. Does that make sense? Well, it definitely makes sense. I mean, the simplest way I keep putting it is we got to be better than the sum of our parts. And it's been a while since you could say that about a Florida State football team. Also a very, a very concise way of saying what the old man was trying to get across. That'd be me. <laughs> I didn't call you an old man, Keith. I might Yet. have thought it, but I didn't, I didn't vocalize Yet. it. Yeah. 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 There was a little asterisk. <laughs> All right. So the baseball team gets uh, Troy over the weekend. Uh, we didn't mention, but congratulations again to the beach volleyball team, which won another championship last week. We talked a little bit about them last week with Bob and uh, their national championship uh, will be contested here in the next week or two, I think maybe not this weekend, but next. And uh, then, then golf and track will get back at it. And the, the season just turns over again. I do think it's good that the ACC commissioner came down and is, is doing a tour uh, as he should, even if he had come from, you know, he didn't grow up in the ACC. He grew up as a big 10 guy. So there's an obvious reason he doesn't really, he hasn't met these people at all. He's got to go meet them, but you'd like to see the commissioner do that anyway, and just kind of learn the challenges and see what's out there. And, and because this landscape is going to change in the next few years. Well, and the landscape at Florida State is changing, you know, not necessarily athletic related, but what, by the end of May, very possibly you've got a new president. Uh, what, what does that mean to your athletics department in terms of uh, focus and, and um, you know, how that individual, male, female, or otherwise, uh, looks at it? So, yeah, th- this is going to be an interesting three or four or five weeks for Florida State um, for a lot of reasons. And, and school's not even in session. This is going to be all occurring after the end of the, of the spring semester. So interesting times in Tallahassee. I didn't hear about uh, much of the budget. We don't get into politics uh, on our show, but um, I know the budget's been printed and, and everything. Do you have a, just a gross feel for how FSU did from a financial standpoint at the state level? Well, it could still change because they go through the 72-hour cooling off period and then they come back and they might make some adjustments and then when the governor gets it he has line item veto power but I think okay uh Keith this is an oversimplification but uh it feels like it's a roller coaster during session and it it, usually the sky is falling at some point uh and when all said and done it's okay it's maybe not everything you wanted but it's okay so I'm hoping that that's where it landed (laughs) I I hear you and I think I understand Anything else we need to uh, tie up before we finish up this week's show? Well, we haven't spent enough time even uh, talking about softball, but, you know, that's, again, another of the FSU spring sports that uh, is ranked and performing well, and we'll have a national championship opportunity in a little bit. So uh, the, the, the Coach's Cup, what do we call that thing? What, the Director's the- Cup? The Director's Cup, thank yeah. you. The Director's Cup uh, standings continue to, to uh, be very, very impressive for Florida State. The overall excellence, as is talked about. No question. Thanks again to soccer coach Mark Krikorian for joining us. His team will play. Uh, it's a second-round game, but their first game this tournament, Saturday at uh, 3 o'clock. We wish them the best of luck as uh, they try to defend or honor their uh, number one top overall seed. Keith, we will do this again uh, next week, I suppose. Look forward to it. All right, until then, he's Keith, I'm Tom. This is Front Row Knowles.